movie boys in the house. <laughs> hello, Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. I'm in a giddy mood, actually, today, because, like, I literally finished watching House of the Dead, like, five minutes ago. You were raring. Like, you were ready to go. I, I said, give me a minute. I'll, I'll call you in a sec, and we'll do this. I just got to set up my mic. Skype goes on, and the call comes in. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait to talk about this. Um, so, welcome to the Spin-Off Doctors. That's the actual name of the show now, uh, which I came up with at the last minute before we posted episode one, which is Resident Evil. Um, good feedback to the last one. Um, a lot of people liked it. Some people wanted a bit more structure to the show, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna do that. It's gonna be loose still because I, I like a, a, a bit of a freeform show. Um, but we are basically gonna split um, the podcast into sort of we'll have a nice intro bit, then we'll talk about the plot of the film, and then we'll talk about sort of the, the more of the minutiae of the film and our opinions on it, sort of the editing and the the, the acting and all of that stuff. Um, and that that should make for a nice little. Best of both worlds situations. So oh, yeah. you've got to... people. People will like it. Yes, or they, they they will just not listen. Well, th- that is their freedom to do. Um, that's that's what America is here for. You can just not not consume content you don't want to, unless you're Conrad and Jim. Yes. In <laughs> which case, you spend your Thursday morning <laughs> eating Gouda cheese, watching House of the Dead. Uh, so this week. <laughs> This episode, sorry, I'm, I cannot begin to describe how giddy with glee I am. Uh, I have spent the last, like, I don't know how long the film is, let's just say 90 minutes, but I've spent the last 90 minutes with a big grin on my face, alone in the house, whooping and cheering. Like, I've been whooping and cheering while watching this film. Uh, there's just so much to, to digest. Um... But I I had a, I did not have the same reaction when I watched it. No, no, you are. Um, I don't think you enjoyed it as much. As well, I, did. I mean, there are things. It was more. I, it was frustrating. It was frustrating yeah. because of how flagrantly disregarding <laughs> of quality it is. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Like it. It really. It 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 takes a certain. It's not even glee. It doesn't take glee in it. It just doesn't fucking care that it's a bad movie. It knows it's a bad movie, and it doesn't relish it. It's just, eh, fuck it. I think that should have been the tagline for the movie. (laughs) Fuck it. I think the movie itself should have been called Tits Within Minutes. Like, that, because really, like, it, it, but we'll get to that. We will. We will talk about, we will talk about how quickly Tits entered the equation here. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I, this now, is House of the Dead. I, I'll, just, the I'll Dead. just give a bit of a, a, a bit of a rundown. This is House of the Dead, uh, 2006, I believe. Three. 2003, sorry. 2003. Um, I don't know why I said 2000. I don't know where that came from. 2003, directed by Uwe Boll, a name that will probably be be quite a semi regular occurrence in this podcast. Um, he's well, done he's a made lot a lot of, of them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's amazing how he became the game industry's go to guy. It really is because, like, very, very few of his movies actually made money, and that sort of baffled people. Like, why would production companies like Lionsgate and so forth continue to give him money to make 
movies that don't really make much money uh, or lose money more often than not. And, you know, and as it turns out, he was taking advantage of a very lucrative German mm-hmm. tax loophole to accomplish all of this. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it made money. It was, it was basically like the producers. It's the plot of the producers, but uh, with a director who yeah. knew what he was doing. Like he was, he churned out guff because losing money was lucrative thanks to the, the, the German tax loophole. Um, which is funny because, like, I've spoken to Uwe Boll in the past. You know, I've, mm-hmm. had, I've had a conversation with the man. And and I've seen other interviews with him and everything. And I get the sense he genuinely loves film. Yeah. He loves film. He's a student of the art. Oh, I, I truly believe that. And you can see it reflected in this film, actually, which is something that, again, I think we'll get into a little bit yeah. later. But uh, it's definitely there. We should talk about our House of the Dead experience before this experience, though. Yes, yes, that's a good idea. Um, Uh, House of the Dead is uh, a light gun series mm -hmm. of arcade games originally, and they've all been ported to consoles, and there have been a few console-only iterations, Um, and and some weird spin-offs, and they all seem to revolve around this agency that uh, is investigating the work of mad scientists who are raising people from the dead. And, yes. uh, and and you kill lots of dead things with guns. I mean, they're, it, and, and I, I like that we're doing this episode right after Resident Evil because they're both from the same school uh, yeah. in a lot of ways. They're both B-movie uh, inspired games with, uh, uh, you know, some similar elements, but they're, they're both very different in their respective genres of play. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've we we went from a zombie movie to a zombie movie, right? Um, and they but both they're, they, they're very different zombie movies, aren't they're, they? Like, they're very different zombie movies that almost try to be the they try to be the same thing because they're yes. both gauche, tacky action films more than horror films. Um, but as you said, they the results winded up very different, even though I think the mentality behind them were was similar. Yes. Um, <laughs> Sorry, so did just you remembering play, the film. Did you play a lot of House of the Dead in the arcades? Or, I'm a big or... fan of House of the Dead. Uh, if yeah. I see a House of the Dead arcade machine, um, if I'm, you know, at you, the movie theaters where I am, you know, tend to have little arcade areas. Sure. Um, if I see a House of the Dead, there's a good chance I'll, I'll use it. Um, I like the first House of the Dead. I had the, the House of the Dead re-releases they brought out on the Wii. Um I'm a big fan of House of the Dead Overkill. Yeah, that, that really that stepped the, up the game into some interesting directions. Yeah, I mean, that one was just a, just a glorious, just glorious trash. Um, and I mean that with, with fondness. Uh, and I, when I was in Japan, I went to Japan um, when I worked at Destructoid. Uh, I went with uh, then editor-in-chief Nick Chester and Dale North. And we went to... Um, there's a big... I can't remember the name of it. There's a big... I think Sega own it, maybe. But there's a big... Um, Arcade like Sega Club Tokyo. type deal, uh, something like that. Yeah, um, and they had a uh, a House of the Dead uh, game where you go into like uh, you sit in it and rails go down almost like a roller coaster and shunts you about while the zombies sort of come at you and stuff. That's and cool. yeah, it was really cool. It was we didn't last very long in there. There's some some boss turned up and mullered the shit out of us. But I've always had a, a, a big fondness of, of the series and, and obviously House of the Dead 2 with its brilliant voice acting is one of my favourite things ever. Um, 
I, I every now and then I'm still compelled to just just shout suffer like G did, uh, and and stuff like that. It's it it is one of I mean, it's probably up there with with the campiest video games that you could ever find. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely on the money there, and I think a part of that is production value mm-hmm. just being kind of awful. Yes, yes. You I know, mean, they uh, worked very well with what they had. Oh, they certainly did. But I mean, those the, the voice acting <laughs> in the in 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 those first three houses, that like it gets so much better in Overkill. Yeah, I mean when that's when you, they really kind of embraced the camp. Right, they and did leaned it on into purpose. it. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and those it felt like they were trying so hard to be serious and earnest, but they had no the actors had no context at all, no connection whatever to what was happening on the screen. Yeah, yeah, I mean uh, the, the I've used the clip many times of Goldman um, from House of the Dead too, the the main villain, who they they clearly just like picked up some chartered accountant up off the street and said, do you want to be in a video game? And he probably said, what's a video game? And they said, perfect. Um, <laughs> and sat him down and, you know, he's doing this, protect the life cycle. Like, just the, the voice acting is incredible. I, and my favourite bit is when, um, uh, I forget which one it is, I think it's House of the Dead 2, um, could be 3, uh, where the, the character you're playing sees a woman die. Like, she's going, ah, and she falls over and dies. And he just looks at her for, for a little while and goes, my God. And then the camera just swings away as he just walks off and shoots more zombies. And it, it's it's one of the most callous fucking things by pure accident. It's almost like he's saying, my God, just in case anyone's watching <laughs> to see that he's giving a shit. And then he carries on about his day. Um, and I think when, when we used to podcast with Jonathan Holmes, I think he uh, used to point out his, his glee at the when the women would run from the zombies screaming, Don't come! Don't come! <laughs> <laughs> which, which I still delight in. Um, just because obviously the localization was bad as well. So oh, yes. a lot of the lines didn't make sense. Um, and, you know, the, the famous Suffer Like G did line, you know, this little weird imp monster flies up and is supposed to be screaming at the player like Suffer Like G did, G being, a, you know, a character from the series. And it's supposed to be a threat, you know, telling you that you're going to suffer like G did. But it's framed as a question because clearly there was no direction. So this monster flies up at the screen and with this weird squeaky voice just goes, Suffer Like G did! And then the fight begins. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, if anything that can be said about the movie is that it does kind of capture the the lack of direction and acting <laughs> that the that the video game series itself had. What? I, I, God, I'd like to give the, I'd like to give it some sort of credit for doing that, but I think you and I both know that 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 there's no way that was intentional. No, not at all. <laughs> right. um, it's 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 what Bob Ross would have called a happy little accident. <laughs> So yeah, I guess uh, what we'll do is we will we'll move on to the plot section. Yeah, let's talk about the plot a little bit. Yeah. Right. So here's the plot. Yes, the plot. The plot. (laughs) What there is of it. Yes. I was astounded how many beats there are in this plot. <laughs> and I think a lot of that has to do with how many fucking people there are in this story. There's a lot. They're supposed to, like, the film begins 
with one character who's sort of presented as the sole survivor. Right. Who's like, you know... He's moodily reflecting on what happened and remembering his friends. So we we instantly get him set up as the main character, and then he doesn't appear for, like, most of the film. It's it's like 25 minutes before he's in the film. Yeah, so we don't see him again for a while. But Um, he's he's talking about his friends, and these (laughs) these are five college students now. They're Greg the Jock. Cynthia, who's Greg's girlfriend. Yep. Greg the Jock. I, 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 I didn't bother learning their names, so I came up with other names for them. So <laughs> Greg the Jock is Discount Bradley Cooper. Okay, I see that. Yep. Uh, Cynthia, his girlfriend. Jesse Jane. Okay. Uh, Simon, who's the dumb, good-looking, rich guy. Uh, Discount Paul Rudd. Okay. Karma, uh, who is the, uh, African Amer- the token African-American character who has a crush on Simon, the r- dumb, rich guy. Two guns. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about the guts. But <laughs> and Alicia, who is established to be the ex-girlfriend of the narrator, the crush of Simon, and as having an interest in fencing, which is totally incidental to the plot and not in any way foreshadowing. Deborah Messing. Okay, so these five college students are on their way to an island rave. Yes, um, and, and I should point out. I guess I'll point out at this point. Apparently, Sega hosts raves on islands for children. Um, if if the if the mise en scene of the film is to be trusted, uh, when you get scenes of the rave before you know the the, the movie ostensibly happens, um, there's a giant Sega banner behind the DJ on the stage, ah, and I feel like like it just looks like Sega invites horny drunk teenagers to islands. <laughs> For well, rave parties. Let's let's just let's talk about this rave for a second. Okay? Yes, the rave. Now, uh, the the once they've established that these guys are, are on their way to the rave, we get to see what yeah. this rave is, and this rave is like forty people, maybe. <laughs> yeah, which is depressing. By Thereabouts. Any rave standards, let alone outdoor rave standards. Yeah, I think there's like ten tents around the the general party area. So it's like 40 people and 10 tents. Uh, right. You can all do the math at home. It, it is a sad little gathering. It's pathetic. Now, I, I don't have a lot of outdoor rave experience. Yeah. I, I do have a fair bit of, you know, indoor rave experience. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why people would go to a rave that even, like, is happening during daytime at any point. Yeah. That does not make sense to me. I thought the whole point of going to a rave was to do the kinds of drugs that make you really sensitive to light and not wanting to be outside. So I'm just baffled. Yeah, I mean, normally, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not particularly well-versed in rave or rave culture, uh, but my understanding of it is, is a big part of the appeal of rave is glow sticks, right. which I don't think work during the day. Well, they work, technically. Well, they, they, they exude yeah. luminescence. They but do it... what they do, but, but they, they, they are not optimal for, no. like, like one thirty in the afternoon. No, and 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 maybe that is supposed to be some sort of explanation for how like poorly populated this rave is. Maybe maybe these are just the idiots that show up early. I don't know, uh, but they have. Well, the main characters miss the boat. They miss the the boat that takes all the ravers to the island. You mean you mean the the characters who aren't the main character because the main character doesn't show up for twenty five minutes. Yeah, sort of. I mean, we should. It gets confusing to follow if you try and, like, make sense of it. Right. Uh, but, but basically, but, but, it is an ensemble cast piece. <laughs> it's an ensemble cast of 
actors nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> Let uh, we lose a guy use the from Dos Boot and Ron Howard's ugly older brother. <laughs> yeah, that's basically. But I'm it. digressing again. Yes, uh, <laughs> let's get back to the plot. So we, but you get you, you see this rave. You see, it, it's just it's just sad. But there are a couple things that are notable about the rave that are worth pointing out. Yeah. Um, first of all, the dancers in the leotards. What are they do- doing there? Like they're being paid to be there, or I don't know. I don't. I've never seen anybody. That's just. Why would you wear those things to dance in a yeah, place like that? Yeah, there's a lot of questionable stuff about the 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 rave. I mean, you know, the big Sega banner is the the thing that I kept staring at. Yeah, that's um, that's strange. That's a little odd. Um, the the other thing, the DJ in the background playing the music, playing the terrible electronic dance music. Yes. Yeah. Really awful. Playing the house music of the dead. The house. <laughs> that's Biff Naked. Biff Naked is a Vancouver sort of pop punk musician yeah. who achieved uh, some some brief popularity in the United States uh, in the late 90s uh, for an album uh, called Ibificus, if I remember. I think it was late 90s. It might have been early 2000s. Yeah. Um, I don't know what she's doing there. That's really strange to me. Giving everyone a great time. I guess so. And providing so, well, a fun time for these these drunk, horny teens. Well, you know who's not having a great time? Who is Greg, Cynthia, a... Simon, Carmen, and Alicia, who are stuck on a dock having missed their boat. Having missed so, their boat, yes. What, I, what I love about that scene with the, the, the quote-unquote main characters who have missed the boat um, is just how quickly we run through their backstories. Um <laughs> As the camera focuses on each character and Rudy, who is the the main character who shows up 25 minutes later, um, like almost rushes out the kind of biography for them that you'd see on the back of a Transformers toy box. Right. Just this like brief half a paragraph of of history of each character um which i love because it just gets all of the exposition out of the way but so much of it is and it, it's so empty too like i mean I, literally when i when i was thinking about these things and boiling down what <laughs> they, they just go into very brief stereotypes greg is a nice guy that's all you know about him yeah like he's Rudy's best friend. He's a nice guy, and he's a jock. That's it. That's what you get. Like mm-hmm. Simon, no... he is a bit stupid. They, yes, they they really <laughs> just put them into little stereotype tick boxes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love you. that they they take um, discount Paul Rudy, two guns, and Deborah Messing, and and we contrive a love triangle for them, <laughs> which doesn't come up in the film. Well, very, very. It's not a love triangle, although Karma. Yeah, Karma's supposed to have this crush on Simon, and that's never reflected at all in the performance. And well, no, that's not true. That's not true. There is a short scene in there where, yeah, it's just very brief and not interesting. I guess is. Yeah, the I think point. I probably missed. I, there, it's, there's just a lot of filler. There's a lot of this. blink and you'll miss it stuff in there. And, yeah. and I guess that entire plot line is like, a well, there, there, miss its itch. There are two points in the film where they address the uh, the Simon, Alicia, and Karma thing. Uh, at one point, the three of them, which we're, we'll, we'll get to this in a second, I guess, in the plot. Um, but at, at one point in the proceedings, the three of them are all on their own. And Simon is trying to 
flirt with Alicia. Yeah, I never, I didn't understand that scene. I, I felt like watching that scene that, um, for, well, we'll give a brief description if, if you haven't watched the film um, and you're just listening to this. Um, there is a scene where Simon, discount uh, Paul Rudd, um, puts on an, what I think is supposed to be an English accent. It is, it is supposed to be an English To impress uh, the girl that he likes. Um, two guns, I believe. Um, and his, I, I can't even remember what he said. Uh, he's just saying, like, the I mic- think the word governor came in. Maybe. Governor. The sound, the sound mixing isn't very good, so I just heard, Roger, 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 Roger. And then the two girls walk off a bit ahead of him and say, what's with the stupid accent? And then he just stands there confused for a moment. Now, I was convinced none of that was scripted, and that was just the three actors filmed off set um, in the forest. It would be completely believable. Yeah, like, That's- I was, it just... It had no relevance to the plot. It, it, it wasn't didn't. even That's the played thing. for laughs. It uh, made and, no sense within the context of anything. And and later, Karma has a heart-to-heart moment with Simon where, you know, it's sort of clear that they're supposed to be having this emotional connection now. But that's it. That's the extent to which this weird love triangle referenced in the beginning of the film crops up later in it. Yeah. like there's, there's a lot of stuff in the in those, like, brief half a paragraph backstories for each character that you that in a normal film would set up for important things later on well but, but it, here it, it, well and it's it, like again it tries to do that but it, it ham hands it like it's so shoved down your throat that these things are going to come up because here you know the the reason why the narrator rudy and Alicia are no longer together was because he wanted to focus on his studies and she wanted to take up fencing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not sure what that's going to be good for. Like, that's literally said. It's like, well, yeah. gee, dumbass, I don't know. Do you think there's going to be a sword in the last 10 minutes of this movie? I, and the funny thing is, is by the time the sword fight turns up, I'd forgotten about the fencing <laughs> bit. I'd forgotten that she's supposed to be a fencer. It doesn't explain why the rest of them suddenly know ninjutsu halfway through. Oh, God. They are but all we... such competent fighters. All right, so yeah, we're skipping we're, they're way on the dock. Ahead. They're on the dock, <laughs> and they have to get to the island. <laughs> we, we ran all the way to the, to the last ten minutes of the film. Let's get back off the island, right. get on a boat, so, back to the dock. So they find a fishing boat yep. captained by a guy named Kirk. Captain Kirk. Ha-ha. Captain they, Kirk, which of course they out. have to, yep. Oh, they ought to make that reference. They have to uh, point that out. Did um, uh, they to take them to the unfortunately named Isla del Morte, where the rave is going on? Yes. Now, Assholes. Captain Kirk is German, but served yes. in the U.S. Army. Right. Uh, that was his backstory. Uh, and he's um, played He's played by a, a rather accomplished actor. Who's who, who, I mean, well, he's the best part of the film. He absolutely is. Absolutely. Uh, I, and I, now, I wish I'd written down his name because it's german it's, it's long in german as well but it's... uh but he was in das boot he was yeah. in uh um... i was calling him german clint eastwood for most of the film he was the bad guy in something and i totally didn't even recognize him uh when i when i saw the list and now i can't remember what it was but um now you'll look him up he's the german name on the list uh, yeah, yeah i um hang on i'm gonna look at the the credits yeah, do that. I've got do the that. IMDb page up. For moments like this. Hey. Uh, where are we? Where's Kirk? Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. Jürgen Prochnow. Jürgen Prochnow. Yep. Yeah. He's really, he is actually a talented actor. And boy, he, you know. Yeah. 
he just needs the money. I get that. Gotta work. It's a shame. Um, speaking of need money, gotta work, I guess. Uh, also on the boat is his first mate, Salish. Yep. Who is played by Clint, Clint Howard. Howard. Oh, God bless Clint. I love Clint Howard. I'm a big Clint Howard fan. And he when did I saw his, his best with what he credits, had. Uh, he did. He did. In he this did. film, he did his best. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can... I think a lot of people will look at Clint Howard, the character actor, and think, oh, he, you know, gets away with a lot because of how kind of goofy slash creepy he looks. And that's, I'm sure, absolutely why he gets cast in so many of those things that he does, where he plays a creepy yet oddly endearing kind of character. But that's not easy to pull off even with a goofy look, I don't think. And, And he's just entertaining. Um... So the these teen these uh, college students decide to uh, proposition Kirk, the captain of this fishing boat, um, the Lazarus. By the way, is that uh, what it's called? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's another subtle. point I missed. Real subtle there. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's well, you don't get a lot of shots of the front of the boat to see the name, so I guess that's. I had to watch this more than once. Okay. It yeah, hurts. I felt I felt really bad for you. Like I'm never going to watch this film again, probably. No. But you watched it twice. I watched it. I technically watched it three times. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like to be thorough. I wish I didn't. Um, so they, they proposition Kirk to take uh, them to the island. Uh, Salish is uh, really against the idea. He says it's haunted by evil spirits. Um, but, you know, a grand is a grand. And, yeah. uh, he, and gives the, um, he gives uh, Jesse Jane a cross to protect her. He does. Um, he does try to give Jesse Jane a cross. Which yeah, she's she got her tits there. out in this scene. Oh, yes, yeah, she does have her tits out already. Yeah, her breasts That's are right. out. That's, That's actually, actually the, the second set of breasts. Actually, though. I think it's the third set. I think the order of breasts goes on the stage at the rave. There's a woman in the background with her tits out. Oh, you're right. You're and right. then there's a, a skinny dipping scene for no reason other than... Which is and, why we skipped it in terms of And I want to talk about the, the skinny dipping scene. Okay, actually. well then let's stop for a moment and talk about the skinny dipping it's scene. It's got no plot relevance, really. None. Uh, other than, you know, Uwe Boll just wanted another young actress with her boobs out. Um, so this woman comes out and they're going to do a skinny dipping thing. Um, so she takes her top off and there are the breasts and she goes into the water with her underwear on. <laughs> Which defeats the purpose of skinny dipping. Uh, the other guy, the guy that she's with, is like, he's too cold. The water's too cold, so he just sits back on the beach. And then she goes in swimming with her underwear on, which, which is, of course, a thong, because uh, they were basically... Basically, I feel like the film was trying to get her as naked as possible without having a vagina out. Yep, um, because that, that would have... Uh, that could have propelled it into a higher rating. Exactly, yep. yeah. And, and plus, it would have made the film... Just tacky. <laughs> it yes, just would that, have been gauche. That, that's, that's the thing that would have made this movie tacky. Right. Yeah. Now, when her boyfriend inevitably goes missing, uh, and she well, goes to look for that's, him. That's the thing about this scene. Like, it tries to play up a Jaws, right? It does, yeah. It, she goes it tries to imply that yeah. she's going to get pulled under and killed, and the guy on the beach is going to be the one like, what happened? Um, but that's not the case. She sort of feels something tugging at her leg or something and then turns back and the boyfriend is gone, which I, I you know, it, that's the least lazy bit of this movie was the effort that was put yeah. towards deceiving me long enough to think that they were truly, truly fucking lazy. 
That's true. That's true. I, I will give it that. But what gets me is when the boyfriend does go missing and she goes looking for him, she's got her clothes back on. Yes. She's, Which she means she's quick. walking around in soaking wet sea salt underwear. Uh, that took that took me out the whole film. I couldn't get back into it after that. Well, there's 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 a risk of grit getting in there too. Yeah, yeah. and that's just uh, nothing worse than a salty vagina. Yes, I, yeah. I feel I feel that there might be a sea anemone in there. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know what's in that water. It's it's Los Islas del Muerte. So um, right. So the, the, they're, they're, the, uh, the kids are on the boat and they're going to take off. And well, lo and behold, this cop tries to stop Kirk from leaving yeah. the, uh, the dock. Quite possibly the worst actress in the film. I think. Oh my God. She is terrible. Officer Casper yep. is her name. Uh, and, she's uh, not she, friendly. No, she's not. She believes correctly that Kirk is a smuggler and is trying to stop them from leaving. And when she fails to do that, uh, decides to pursue them to the island. Yeah. Um, now, at the island, the students go to the rave site and they find it seemingly abandoned. Oh, actually, um, before that, um, we actually do see zombies before that. We do. Because oh, no, we do see zombies. The skinny dipping lady that. with the soaking wet, salty vagina right. is looking for her boyfriend. She stumbles on this abandoned house with a graveyard outside it and goes into the house looking for the boyfriend. Uh, and then she stumbles on zombies and they surround her and tear her apart. And then we get a, a, a brief half a second clip from the video game house of the dead. Oh, which we will talk about after we're done with the plot analysis. In great depth in a little bit. Uh, it, we also, uh, during this, this is sort of like the, Oh, okay. Shit's going wrong at the rave scene. Yeah. That you know we, but they don't really show much of it. What they show is, uh, salty vagina finding her boyfriend and and getting, uh, killed. She gets tore up. Gets tore up. Uh, well, and a zombie punches right through the stomach of her boyfriend for reasons I'm totally unclear on. Yeah, I'm actually unclear on a lot of. When when we get to the bit where the, I guess the villain is revealed. Everything the zombies have done up to that point is called into question because it runs completely counter to to what he wants. Yeah, yes, but we'll get to that. We will get there. So uh, the zombie uh, punches through the boyfriend's stomach, um, and and we're shown a a a couple that's you know like I guess a milf. You'd call? Would you call her a milf? She struck. I think that was what was trying to be implied that this woman in the jungle was a milf. I can't even remember which one we're talking about now. This, the only... this is the woman that's trying to shove her uh, lover's head into her crotch with such abandon that he oh, actually yes. asks her to slow down. Yes, I remember now, yes. As soon as you mentioned the, the aborted cunnilingus, now I'm on board. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, so we see them, and they hear something, and so we assume that they're killed. And that's yeah. pretty much what we get That's pretty much it. We also get introduced killed. to a character who becomes fairly prominent, but we get no clue she's going to become prominent because she's just like this throwaway character at the rave, which is the um, the woman in the, I guess. One of the dancers, the, yeah. The One American of the flag in a leotard. leotard. Yeah. But, and, and we'll, yes, we'll get there yeah, pretty soon. Uh, I hope at this rate it's starting to become questionable. So they're yeah. at the rave site and they see it's abandoned. And Alicia, who is, you know, the smart character, I guess, is the only one intelligent enough to, to like find this odd. Yes, like, the, the, only the, the one two guys. By it. The two guys, uh, Cooper and Rudd, basically 
start helping themselves to the booze. They're like, oh, well, I guess they didn't go to the 7-Eleven to get more booze because this keg is full. And, the, and, and just the, start the, drinking. Uh, Karma and uh, Alicia, or, or I'm sorry, Karma and, and Cynthia or Jesse Jane and Two Guns, yeah. uh, they just both want to dance and have a good time. And they think mm-hmm. this is no big deal. Like, what the fuck? Is this what college is doing to our, our nation's youth? Is that what's happened here? I think that's what's happened. I think I think it's gotten to the point where a, a rave that's supposed to be populated by 40 people is abandoned, and the kids just want to dance. I just, I'm so confused. I'm just... It's... It's so dumb. Unbelievably dumb. But so... So Alicia, being intelligent enough to know that this is odd, decides to go look for other people on the island, and she's joined by uh, Simon and Karma, leaving Greg and Cynthia behind to hang around the empty rave and fornicate. Yes, and they're going to have sex. They're going to have um, sex. And they, this is another scene that I, I don't feel was scripted, because it just came off as awkward. It really did. Humpity, bumpity, humpity, bumpity, humpity, bumpity. I think that's all I have to say about this. <laughs> well, I've got a little bit more. Um... <laughs> Basically, Bradley Cooper throws Jesse Jane down on a, a beanbag in a tent. Um, uh, I will, first, they're going to have they, they're making out on the stage, and he goes, "I think it's raining. It's going to get wet." And she says, "It's a bit late for that." Talking oh! about her pussy. And oh wow! Okay, that's they, what that meant. Oh, yes, it yes. right past me. She was talking about the puss, right? <laughs> and. So they go into a tent, and he starts like getting, like jumping on her and basically dry humping her through his jeans. Um, and she's like, "Oh, what if someone sees us?" He goes, "Well, I'll be quick." And then she she makes some comment about quickness, you know, implying. That, that oh, and, and the audio mix is so bad that I I barely could make it out. Yeah, I don't know what she said. All I know is she muttered something, and I kind of picked up a hint of sarcasm. So I figured, oh, she must she must be talking about his jizz. Um, and he instantly gets up, and she says, oh, it was just a joke. And then he just I think it was suddenly... a premature ejaculation joke, basically. Yes, yes, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, he gets up and starts wandering around, and she says, it's just a joke, and he says, I need a piss. And, <laughs> and then just... There's a, like, mumbling conversation between them. Well, it's like, he got up, and he was looking around in the tent for in somewhere tent. to piss. Yeah. That's what he, he was, was doing. And she's like, take that shit outside, which, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, like, kind of with her on that. That's, a, like, how fucking dumb. Of course, they don't think that the Repty Rave is weird. Why would I think that they'd be smart enough to go outside to piss? Yeah. Like, it, you really do get the, si- the sense that the two male characters in this dynamic, like, literally need handlers. Like, they need to be on a leash and led around. Um, but it's so weird. Like, he's, he's half out of shot at one point, and I think he's slightly out of range of, the, like, the boom mic. Uh, so I can barely make him out. Then he finally locates the entrance to the tent that he'd already located, like, three seconds ago. Well, he just closed it. Yeah, he just closed it. He finally finds it again after looking in the corner of the tent for somewhere to piss. Uh, says something about all this beer I drank's got to go somewhere. Uh, and then leaves. And... Uh, yeah, like... Okay. Uh, so at this point, Kirk and Salish are uh, uh, unloading the contraband that yes. they have had on their ship that they're going to, to now hide on the island... Uh, so that uh, it, uh, Officer Casper doesn't find it when she searches their boat, and then they yeah, at this point, Salish has stopped being scared of the island. Like he didn't even want to go to begin with. Now he's like really not bothered about being on it and they did offloading not... crates on his own. They, yeah, he. I think that this is the part of it where like Clint kind of falls short. 
Like he sh- he should have been more nervous. And you know, there is a point right before he seemingly meets his unfortunate demise that also Yes, now, okay, now, it's like, now he remembers that he's supposed to be scared of the island. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but, but, uh, Salish is, uh, seen to be, uh, attacked by zombies. Um, and Kirk, meanwhile, is alone on his boat, and zombies start encroaching on him. And yeah, they're swimming. Little... They're good swimmers as they're well. They're surprisingly good swimmers. There's one um, onto the, we see a shot of one doing, like, a really competent breaststroke, uh, as it heads towards the boat. So we know that Kirk's in trouble. Right. Uh, meanwhile, Alicia, Simon, and Karma find an old house on the island where they discover Rudy. Hey, we're like 25 minutes into the movie. Yeah, we see the main character who Rudy, then, he's, even he's, once he's introduced, isn't the main character. He just blends into the ensemble. He really does. Uh, so, and they're there with a guy who's filming He's our everything. narrator. He's, he's a he's, he's yeah. a med student. Like these are this is the exposition stuff that we know about him. He's a narrator. He's a med student. Alicia's ex boyfriend. Yeah, um, he's there with Hugh, who is a pervy guy with a camcorder. Who I guess is Rudy's buddy because the two of them were together hanging yeah. out, talking to some. And girl. he's filming everything, right? And I almost feel like that was Uwe Boll. Like he wanted to do a found footage movie, maybe sometime down the line, and just wants to say there's precedent of characters holding cameras all the time. Uh. He like if you if you look at House of the Dead, uh, this man is filming on the time. This isn't even a found footage film, so. <laughs> So it, it happens. I've but, seen um, it. So they meet, meet Hugh with the camcorder and Liberty, the dancer we mentioned earlier in the yes. Star Spangled Banner uh, leotard. Yes. Uh, very skin tight. Uh, she is light. She is the only person out of this whole batch of motherfuckers who I can feel might have the combat ability that she demonstrates later in the film. Maybe. It, it's still pushing it. It's really pushing it. But, yeah, she is a dancer. But she's also a badass. She's kind of a badass. Yeah. With questionable decision-making skills, like everybody else here, but kind of a badass. So, these, they meet these three new people who explain what happened at the rave. uh, Yeah, they look at Hugh's camera, don't they? They do. They look at Hugh's camera, they see footage of the zombies. Not everyone's convinced... No, they, is... they, they, they mostly think it's a publicity stunt or a gag or something. But they decide that they can all go back to Kirk's boat and leave the island because this place is fucking weird anyway, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they have to first return to the abandoned rave site to pick up uh, Greg and Cynthia. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get there and they find uh, Porta John shaking. Yeah, well, we already know by this point that Cynthia's dead, because uh, we do get a brief scene we do where get we a see brief the zombies, their shadows outside around. the tent, like, right. coming after, and they start bashing on the tent, and she's all, ah! Yeah, yeah, so, so we she's know gone she's at this dead. point. Um, yeah. And then we find this Portageon shaking around, and it turns out that inside is Greg, who went out there to get, uh, to take a leak. Okay, so he was so desperate to piss... That he was about to do it inside the tent he was about to have sex in. Yeah. Yet, wandered around to find a portageon instead of just, you know, stepping like 15 feet out and getting the job done? Yeah. And it seems to have gotten locked in the portageon and have stuck in the portageon. Well, presumably the zombies came along and tipped over the portageon on the door, thus trapping him in it. Ah, that is, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, I kind of... 
tuned that bit out. Well, it, it's but it's never it, you, you're forced to infer it because it, it doesn't ever demonstrate him in the Portageon or the Portageon being shaken. He's just rediscovered in the in the Portageon. So that's really yeah. the only conclusion. But it's you can it's come the to. one point in the movie where you've got to think for yourself. Uh, well, the rest of the movie punishes you for trying to think too much about what's going on. Yes, it's very true. Um, so they uh, they release Greg from yes. the Portageon. He's covered in shit. It's hilarious. It's we all oh, laughed. so funny. Ah, ha, ha. We all then, laughed. And then all of a sudden, tearing around from behind a tent comes Cynthia, who is now a zombie. Oh, yeah. And, she's all just, up. just goes, grabs Hugh, snaps his neck, and... and May I just say, there's not a lot of things about this movie that I'm going to thank you for, Uwe Boll. But Hugh being dispatched within, say, five minutes of being introduced to him was a gift. It was a shrewd, it was judicious yes. to, to do that. Yes, that was, because that was great was filmmaking. So, he was so amazing. Like, among this, in this swath of characters that I have no reason at all to care about, they managed to produce one that was genuinely unlikable. And he has maybe not even half a dozen lines in the film. Oh, and no. yet he does enough with them to make you detest him. Mm. So they get rid of him like quick. It's not even a good death. No, it's, it's just like, a quick neck snap and snap, boom. He's down. No more, no more of that prick to deal with. Which is great. Uh, so that was good. But now, obviously, everyone else is freaking out. And then out of nowhere, as uh, zombie Cynthia is uh, approaching the party, comes Officer Casper, who shoots her in the chest with a shotgun, and then seeing her still writhing on the ground, plugs one her head, and then turns and asks, what was that thing? In the flattest Delivery possible. It is incredibly flat delivery. And I'd let, I would just like to draw attention to the disconnect that she immediately performed the standard two-shot maneuver for dispatching a zombie that everyone knows. And then... <laughs> and then us. Wonders what it was. Yeah. Um, and if I, I can't remember if she says she does the whole that wasn't her anymore. Uh, that, was our, that was our friend. Not anymore. That's it, yeah. Like, she already went into... Like, she is performing, out of all of them, I think the most stock zombie movie tropey like, like, maneuvers, and yet is the one most confused. She is stiffer than Abe Vigoda. Yes. She, I mean, the, the, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, just um, awful. But so she decides to take charge of the situation. Yes, yes. And she's now the de facto leader, mostly she's, because she's, she's got She's the de facto guns. leader, but then decides to do exactly the same thing that they were already going to do once they reunited with uh, Greg and Cynthia and go to Kirk's boat. Yeah, it, she now presents it as her idea. Right. More or less. So they go to Kirk's boat and find it overrun with zombies. Yeah. Um, Kirk it, at this point had already been dispatching zombies. Really quite coolly like like incredibly competent like a zombie's crawling up the side of the boat and he just shoots it and it falls back in and he doesn't even and again i don't know if this is poor directing or if uberball told him like your character literally does not care about zombies but captain kirk just doesn't give a shit he acts like this happens to him every day it is it is really really normal behavior for some reason and it, it, like it's so casual and he barely even seems to be looking at the targets that he's aiming at yeah like, they could have been anyone <laughs> it was so lackadaisical 
Like, he's just so used to shooting people off his boat. <laughs> he's probably going to do it to the kids I, when know, they now, got oh, back. We have established, of course, that he was in the army. He was in yes. the army with Casper, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she went to work for the government, and he didn't when they got out of the service. So he is a hard, a hardened, trained... I can't even... I, I just, I, it doesn't make sense. It makes it no make sense. <laughs> but anyway... But they, they get there. The they get there. And, uh, and Officer Casper arrived, and Simon just takes off down the well, dock. Well, Kirk's, Kirk's not on the boat. That's what we see. We see that the boat is has got some zombies on it, and Kirk's not there. And yeah, we're all and, thinking, and, oh and my god, people, is Kirk dead? Everybody else on the boat recognizes, everybody else on the shore recognizes, hey, that's not Kirk. And Simon is, and the dock seemed really distant, if I might add. The dock seemed really distant from where they were. Yes. Right. He yes. when Simon starts taking off down off the dock to go jump into the water and swim to the boat, which I'm still not which sure. He does. I mean, I'm not sure why he was so urgent to do that, considering the gravity of the situation. Oh, but wait, that's right. He's the idiot. He is supposed to be the dumbest one of all. Which at this point you realize absolutely the, true. The backstory of him being an idiot. It's just to wallpaper over the bad writing. (laughs) Yes. It's like they can just hand wave it. It's like not even even an idiot would (laughs) separate from the group, run down a dock, and then try and swim what seems to be, you know, more than several hundred yards of ocean to get to the boat. And then, like, I guess Uva's answer would be, yeah, but you don't know how stupid Simon is. (laughs) He can't even feed himself. Uh, So that, you know, that's... This results in the zombies starting to come off the boat towards yes. the shore. And, and this is one party. of my favorite parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Because the zombies, the zombies start, like, going at him. Like, with full fucking front crawl swimming maneuvers. These zombies that can barely coordinate themselves are like Olympic athletes in the water. They are swimming full pelt like fucking overhand front crawl shit. It's incredible. I did, this was one of the moments where I was whooping and cheering. <laughs> As Simon is trying to like swim away, and this team of zombies is front crawling after him. Uh, this is also the scene where we get to, you know, where Liberty kind of demonstrates that she's kind of a badass. A, a badass who is also stupid. Incredibly dumb. Incredibly Simon, dumb. As Simon is trying to swim back to the dock, she breaks from the group and just starts running into the water. Well, no, it's not even its not even a run. It's a confident stride, and she's holding this fucking combat knife that's as big as her head. Is it ever explained where she got it from? No! Because <laughs> I've got things to say about, like, the continuity of the film, where people keep switching weapons. Oh, yeah, we'll get, there's going to be a lot of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so she's suddenly... She's got a knife now, okay. This combat knife from and considering what she's wearing. <laughs> like, I don't know where she was hiding this. <laughs> I do not know where she was I hiding. I don't want to think about it. But yeah, so she basically pulls this knife out of her muff where it's inferred <laughs> and wades into the water, attracting the attention of more zombies who break off and go after her. So they're grabbing on her. Um Bunch of zombies are going after Simon, who's trying to swim back to the dock. And then, it turns out Captain Kirk is alive. He's on the the island. It's never explained how he got from the boat to the island. He's bone dry. And he's got a sniper rifle now. (laughs) And he's sniping the zombies um, to save... um, 
Simon and Liberty. And at this point, Casper uh, runs out to the dark, and she's got a, uh, an assault rifle now, and she's helping fight as well. And then she, and, well, she goes through all the ammo in her assault rifle, and then pulls out a, uh, um, like a forty-five, I think it is, yeah, and just yeah. starts plugging. We say she runs out of ammo for her assault rifle. It's later back again with yeah, no yeah. explanation. Well, no, no, there's no. I, I there's oh, there is a plot something? explanation for that. Yeah, it's. You know, again, uh, something you're not shown, but um, so they deal with this zombie thing. They all regroup. But one of my one of the best bits is in this scene mm-hmm. when when idiot idiot Simon, pissed off at the zombies for his own stupid fucking mistake, yeah. starts. Well, actually, no. It's before that bit. It's my favorite bit. Is when oh. Greg shouts to shoot him, and then Kurt goes, "That's what I'm trying to do, <laughs> you fucking moron!" And then snipes a zombie. Sorry. Yes, yes that's the last zombie where uh, where uh, Kirk saves Liberty at the end. Yeah. But yeah. after this, uh, Simon uh, goes and starts kicking a uh, what's presumed to be a dead zombie corpse in the torso over and over again. Flips it over and is going to start beating it, and it spits on his face. Which I guess is acid. These things spit acid now. Yeah, this is the only scene in which that's demonstrated. But um, this this one zombie spits acid. Spits acid spoils Simon's good looks in a twist of cruel fate. Yeah, I will say he got off light considering it spits all over his face, and it only burns one side of his cheek. Yes, one small patch of his right cheek that that has this uh, injury now. Basically to the point of they put some bandage and gauze on it and he's pretty again. He's pretty with a bandage on. A really kind of awkward bandage too. Like a very yeah. rubbery, weird... <laughs> like, like It looks like something something else from the prop department, not a bandage. I'm not sure. I think, he got it, I think they got it from like a Playmobil doctor set. Yeah, it's, it is weird. But so now, um, this is, at this point, Casper uh, decides that she's going to go back to her patrol boat to try and get help because the radio doesn't work, the cell phone doesn't work, and so maybe she can have more luck from her boat. Yes. Um, and she takes Greg the jock with her. Um, now, because he's not a doctor, and she thinks he can shoot a gun. That that's the conditions for going right. with well, her. She goes, otherwise... "Are you a doctor? Can you shoot with this?" And he doesn't even answer that. Well, Rudy may have demonstrated me. some sort of baseline competence that would otherwise, you know, qualify him for this task if he didn't happen to be a doctor and there needed, you know, and needing to treat Kirk and uh, Simon. Yeah, which, if we're quite honest. He'd already treated them both. Yes, yes. So he was pretty much free to accompany He did her. not have a whole lot going on. They go off on their own. Um, at some point in their travel, we're shown that uh, they get separated from by some zombies. And yeah. uh, Greg is off on his own. Um, he almost gets away, but then... There's a scene the- that seems like ripped out of Lord of the Rings. Where he's hiding under a... Um, it's a scene from the book and the animated show. Uh, like, it's it's reproduced in the book, in the, the animated film of, of The Lord of the Rings they did. And, and of course, Peter Jackson's films. Where he hides under, like, like a, a... A dirt a, mound or something? A, like a, Yeah, there's, like, a tree and this little, like, brow um, uh, with dirt that he hides under. And there's a shot that looks ripped out of 
you know, the animated and the live-action Lord of the Rings films where he's hiding under it and a zombie stops like a Nazgul and starts looking around before moving on. And I, I just say that, I'm like, that, 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 that is trying to be a shot-for-shot shot redo of the, the hobbits hiding from the fucking ring rates. Right, well, I mean, I mean, yes, that is one of the examples that sort of betrays how much Uwe really loves films and wants yeah. to show love for films. Uh, now, loving films and being able to make them are totally different things. Otherwise, I would be an incredibly talented filmmaker at this point. Yeah. As would we all. As would Uwe Ball. Yes. 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 Uh, he would be a better filmmaker than I am, I think. He would. I, I, I mean, I, he I, loves I, film. He does. He, he loves films as much as he doesn't give a shit about games. God damn. So... <laughs> So while uh, Cynthia and Greg are off going back to, or sorry, not Cynthia, uh, Casper, while Casper and Greg are off to Casper's patrol boat, um, Alicia sort of confronts Kirk and is like, now your first mate seemed to have some idea what was going on here. What's the story? And it's nothing but old fairy tales. Yes. He encounters an old wives tale uh, about a... <sighs> <laughs> Uh, this this story comes complete with sepia flashback as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just and out of left field. It just comes completely out of left field. I, I tried to sort of write it out here. And so I'm just, just bear with me while I try to get through it. Yeah, um, and I, I just want to give people a visual description if they haven't seen them. I do recommend always watching the films before listening to uh, the movie, boys. Um, <laughs> so uh, but... It the way the flashback is filmed, it looks like it could be a Monty Python skit. It really like, does. The yes. fat Spanish captain in this scene is like comically Spanish captainy looking, uh, while the 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 other guy in the scene, uh, which Conrad is about to describe, um, kind of looks like Imhotep from the Mummy movies. Yes, he really does. He's got yeah. that. Yes, that's so, what he looks like. So, so yes, please describe the. Kirk the tells the rest of this gang this myth about the island. Uh, in which a Spaniard from Spain, yep, who was being transported uh, by ship. Uh, now I'm, I'm. He never gets a name, does he? They. Just oh, he does. He does. Right. His name is Castillo Hermanos. Oh yes, sorry, yeah, but he's he's a priest or was. Uh, I uh, I guess. Uh, they don't really make that clear. What? No, they he... do. They call him a padre. Oh, okay. They do call him. All right, all right. So, but but it, they do make sure it's clear that Kirk clarifies that he is a Spaniard from Spain. He's yes. not one of those Mexican Spaniards. <laughs> So he's being transported by ship to a garrison. This happened hundreds of years ago. And in the process of the voyage, he escaped, killing the captain and the crew, and then landed on the island, enslaving the native population there, and killing anyone who has traveled there ever since. Yes. Okay, more helpfully during this time, Kirk retrieves a cache of weapons from his smuggled cargo. Now, this is this is also one of my favorite scenes where it just becomes gun porn. It really does. It really does. And this is the part where it would explain uh, Casper's ammunition. She comes back with a big-ass duffel bag from her boat. Oh, yeah. Presumably with more ammunition, and she brings out a Mossberg shotgun. They Which have a, a who's just bigger though, thing. I will just say, though, that opens up a second question because she casually, like really offhandedly mentions her boat's been destroyed. And doesn't, like, explain how she got that big, again, bone-dry fucking bag off the boat that well, has been destroyed. Boat destroyed does not mean boat sunk. 
Uh, the, the engine, the radio, the electronics, things that don't compromise the structural integrity of the destroyed uh, of the boat, but still render it useless. Could, but I agree, it's so shitty Don't writing. do this, not... because clearly, as you said that, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm going to have to start watching these movies three times so that I can, <laughs> so that I can have this insight. But I, I don't want to watch it three times. <laughs> but yes, you are right. She comes back with a, a duffel bag full of stuff. And she comes, yeah, she comes back yeah. with a duffel bag full of stuff. There's a uh, sort of who's is bigger competition between uh, Kirk and Casper over yes. the size of their shotguns. And I should just point out at this point, um, Kirk opens up this, this smuggler's crate. And it's got like contraband cigarettes in it. Cigars. Like, cigars they're Cubans. Sorry. They're Cuban, Cuban cigars. cigars. Which and I, I should also point out, they're supposed to be off the coast of Seattle. That's yeah. a long fucking way to carry Cuban <laughs> cigars by boat. That's probably bought somewhere else. Long fucking way. Um, but he he basically removes the first layer of cigars, and underneath is a grenade launcher, and the entire catalog of things you can find in guns and ammo, like. <laughs> It's a TARDIS. Well, I I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if there was some money changing hands over these guns. There are lots of close up shots of them. There's a lot of close up shots of them. Uh, the when he produces the the grenade launcher. Yep. He goes. She, he says, "Hey, hello to my little friend as well." She pulls the Mossberg out of her uh, bag and says, "Mine is bigger," and then explains that it is a Mossberg model, whatever. She does. Yeah, she goes into. He, she she names it by name. One of the other characters, uh, or uh, Alicia. No, I'm sorry, Karma. Karma picks up a Desert Eagle, which Kirk remarks on by yep. by name specifically. Desert Eagle, nice choice. I like the way you think. I. I uh, this is pr- this is not just the armament scene of a movie. This no. is product placement. It's QVC for people who like guns, which turns out to be the entire cast. Because the way, especially the way Karma looks at her guns and the way the other characters look at their guns, like, it's like they've fallen in love. It's like None they- of these characters have a problem with guns. They've got the opposite. Like they all adore the guns and the grenades that they get given. You could you could practically see the gears in their heads turning and their nether regions swelling. Yeah, like, like they and there's slow motion shots and close ups of these people, like just this group of teens like fawning over these guns and basically, in as many you know, without saying it out loud, just saying like these guns make us feel powerful and cool. Yes. It is, it is, and, and, and it's painfully obvious, as we will get to in a second, that some of these actors have never fired a gun before in their lives. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also painfully obvious that some of these actors have never acted before in their lives as well, but yeah, none of them really, like, handled the guns right. Um, but, they know, just kind of hold them and stroke them and go, ooh. And so from the armament scene, we are yes. almost entirely, like, immediately launched into the big combat sequence of the which, movie. Which felt like it was 20 minutes long. <laughs> yes! I, have, I don't think I've ever seen an action sequence, even in proper action films, that have lasted this long. You know, I have felt that other film action sequences have dragged on in such a way that they feel as, lo- as though they were as long as this. Like, uh, The Matrix uh, Reloaded, and the, the yeah. first big Agent Smith fight scene with all the Agent Smiths and Neo and it goes on and 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 on. Ah. 
Uh, I have fallen asleep watching that. <laughs> in in a theater. Yeah. In a theater, I fell asleep watching that. That's but I think been... in terms of raw length, I think only the fight scene from They Live is longer. That could that could very well be true. And while, while this scene happens, they're being watched from the shadows, and we've seen them throughout the film. They're being watched in the shadows by someone with a cloak and, like, a stitched-up face who's just staring at them all the time with a, like, really pale, like, like deathly white skin who's staring the whole time. The whole but, time. So this action scene is incredible. Um, and I, I don't really want to detail it too much in the plot section. Um, yeah, because we're going to talk about it a lot uh, yeah. in, when suffice we get into some of the impression stuff in a bit. Yeah, suffice it to say there's very little in the way of continuity or sense or physics or logic or anything. No. But there's this really long action scene as they fight through a horde of zombies to get to the house again. Like, like, like they, 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 they probably travel, I would guess, 50 yards. Yes. Um, and, and it, it takes them the better part of... <laughs> 10 to 15 minutes. And it helps that the camera angles are shot in such a way that you never get a sense of them progressing. Okay, all right, all right, all right. It's, but they get there. They get to the they house. Get there. They, they get, get to, to the, the house. house. Liberty gets chomped. Yes, Liberty I gets chomped getting to the house. And I should point out, two. It, it only happens with two of the characters who die. Liberty is one, and Greg is the other, where... They get munched up, and suddenly it cuts to a scene of them stood in a pose, <laughs> looking a bit shocked, while the camera rotates around them and fades to red like a video game game over screen. Yes. It only happens twice to two characters, I and think never those, again. I think that they're the playable characters. They're supposed Is to your mind blown? Did I just blow your mind? Wow. And even though the even though both playable characters die <laughs> while there's still plenty of film left. Well, it's actually not unlike a playthrough of House of the Dead most of the time. Yeah. 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 Usually you get <laughs> bored before <laughs> or you run out of quarters. So that's how that goes cuz that game is brutal in the arcade. So, so they, they get um, there. Uh the, the front door jammed. is now jammed. They can't get yep. in. Uh Rudy and Casper go looking for another way. And they find a window, uh, Rudy gets pushed through, Casper, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how much you enjoyed her performance, uh, winds up losing her legs. They do the uh, zombies pulling from one direction, hero pulling from another thing that results in her getting cut off around there, the they, they hack, in, in a very weak nod to the, uh, the games, some of the zombies have axes and maces and things, and so they start hacking her legs off with axes. Uh, and he pulls her through, and it's fucking hilarious. Because <laughs> the effect isn't very good. Well, and then um, there's she this... looks all puffed up, where obviously her body's behind a thing. And so the scene can... becomes this, you know, like, emotional thing for Rudy that's supposed to, I guess, what, like, develop his character in some way? I think it, it makes sense once the, the twist at the end that only people who have played the games will get is revealed. But yeah, he watches... This is moments after Liberty dies, and he watches Liberty get killed and looks oh yeah because they see that we get this 20 minute sorry i've got to just just rewind a little sure. bit they go through this 20 minute action scene that ends with liberty well kind of summarily ends because it still carries on a bit but but it's ostensibly over when liberty gets chomped up and and there's a shot of rudy looking at her looking anguished because he can't save her and then there's a flashback that he has. Oh, God, that's right. That's the entire action sequence yes, again. What the fuck? What the fuck was the that? Last, like, I'm going to say generously that the, it was 
probably less than ten minutes of it, action. It, <laughs> but but the entirety of that like you know well, seven it's just or eight minutes chopped up like quick flash scenes, and this 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 flashback goes on entirely too long too. Yeah, like, we get a we get a, a an action scene that's too long, and then a flashback of the action scene we, we just literally watched. just watched that goes on too long as well. So anyway, I, I, think that there's some, I think that there's some earlier footage from the film in there too yeah. that's sort of mixed in. Probably but the continuity of all of this is just a total mess. In all all of the editing in this twenty yeah. minutes of film is just it's a total mess. Um, so, Rudy, so Rudy's he's, upset because he can't save Liberty. He's then he devastated gets at the loss of Casper. Yeah, and, and, and he puts he, a cloth over it. And he's so fucking like, okay, I understand that she's dying, but she's in the fucking house. How about the other five assholes that you got standing outside it <laughs> waiting for you to open of, the fucking door? They've been running out of ammo. Like, it's clear because they start mentioning how little ammo they all have. Simon um, was saving his last clip for himself. See, so, and, and this Which is just, he just mentions as a brief aside. You don't save... This is how fucking stupid Simon is. You don't save the last clip. You save the last bullet. Apparently, he really wanted to make sure he get the job done. Use the other 11 bullets in the clip. Yeah, so Kurt gets bitten, and we should point out this is the second time he gets attacked, because he gets bitten earlier in the film as well. Yes. But it's never really brought up. Well, he gets, he gets treated by uh, Rudy, uh, who takes his flask from him and uses it to uh, uh, disinfect the wound. And then, uh, I don't think he's shown actually dressing it later, but uh, it is dressed, and he's, yeah. Like, like with a lot of things in the film, we just assume things have happened. But yeah, he gets bitten at one point, and then he gets wounded in the leg as they, as Rudy finally lets them in. Um, so they all get into the house. They drag uh, Kirk and put him up on the bed. Uh, the bed. So they put him up on a table that's there, um, and it's basically implied that he's dying. Um, well, yeah, he's he well, he's encouraging. Yeah, like, he thinks his number's up, and he's trying to encourage Rudy to worry about everybody else at this point because yeah. Uh, and, and hey, maybe you should like I don't know, find some fortifications and maybe another way out of this place. You know, really practical, useful stuff. Fuck, I love Kirk. He's the most. He's the useful character in this movie. Yeah, he's the only well up to a point. Because his big heroic sacrifice moment. That, okay, fucks this does not make up. any fucking sense either. Yeah, yeah, this yeah is so what happens is dumb. Rudy the, well, the rest takes of the his gang. advice and slips him one last bullet without any of the others seeing, which I guess is the, oh, if you turn into a zombie, you can shoot yourself in the head moment. Um, but so if they you're go a out zombie, off... then why would you? Like, that's not yeah. that's not good thinking on Rudy's part. You've just given the zombie a loaded gun, you idiot. <laughs> and when they've demonstrated they can use weapons. Um, so anyway, Rudy and the other... Oh, actually, while this is happening, um, Simon starts saying that he's the elephant man. Because his, because his otherwise perfectly handsome face has a, a an admittedly bad, but not like freak show level bad scar. But doesn't stop him from saying he's a freak and that he should join the circus. And and karma. And he says that. That's his line. He, he, yes, he says, but... "I should be in the circus. Well, come and see the amazingly handsome but scarred a bit man." <laughs> and and this is the point at which we, I guess, is the payoff for Karma's crush because you know she says, "Oh, I think you're great," and they have this. I would you call it a tender moment? Was it? Is it tender? In the context of this film, it is the closest thing to a tender moment we get. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess so. Uh, and then the gang. Minus Kirk, who's left on the table, um, they discover uh, a ship's log, which lends credence to this Spaniard myth, the Spaniard yes. from Spain. 
Uh, and they go investigating further throughout the house, and they discover this laboratory with all yes. these corpses in it. But they first of all, before they find the lab, they discover a room full of gunpowder. Oh, full of gunpowder, yes. Which they say, again, just signposting what happens later. This gunpowder is useless because to explode it, someone needs to be here. I wonder if that'll come up later. <laughs> but yeah, they go down and find a laboratory. And there's all these corpses and scientific equipment and a microscope with a slide on it. And Alicia looks at it and is like, hey, Rudy, you're the science doctor guy. What yeah. do you think this is? And he's like, it's mutated blood. It's unnatural. I've never seen anything like it. And then he Because says, as a med student, he is an expert. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, he's a prodigy. He does say at this point, and, and it's supposed to be a clue, I guess. Because, um, but it, again, it's so poorly acted and... and paste that you don't get what a, you could see what a competent film would have done with this scene when he as well as describing that the blood's unnatural also calls it genius yes which is supposed to you know in in another competent film it's still fairly well-worn trope territory but obviously that's the oh my god he's praising this unnatural horrible thing you know that's the sort of thing that can be accomplished so much better not with dialogue but with a look like yes. with a good actor who can sort of who can convey just with the eyes yeah that they are can't. thinking about this in greater detail yeah but instead he just looks off to the side of it and goes it's genius <laughs> with this flat tone and i'm like i i can see what the movie was trying to do but he just uh, Again, it's just there's nothing to it. But no. yeah, it's like we're supposed to pick that up as a clue, but right. I can forgive anyone who doesn't because it's not delivered with any gravitas. Meanwhile, yeah. back Meanwhile. in the at, at on the table, uh Kirk hears Salish, his uh first mate, his little whistly sea shanty. Yep, we all forgot about Mr. Howard. But... We forgot about Clint. Uh and so he goes outside to see him there and sees him as a zombie and says, well, I'm not going to leave my friend to live like a zombie and pops him one in the head with that last bullet yeah. that he'd been given by Rudy. So now he has no bullet. And but somehow we should point out that even though most zombies seem to die even to simple body shots, Salish takes a headshot and is still trying to get up. Yes. He doesn't die. He doesn't drop from the headshot. No. It's clearly a headshot, and he's still alive, and he's the only zombie throughout the entirety of the film that this is fine for. So hearing the shot lures yes. Rudy back out of the lab and out the front door where he tries to convince Kirk to come back in. He's like, oh, you're going to, you know, die out here. And he's like, I'm already dead. And then he's got a stick of dynamite in his hand. Yep. Which he lights. Which is just there. It's just there. He, he says something. It I forget. He says some like big last line that I can't remember what he says, but it, it involves calling the zombies boys. Um, come and, and get it, it may, boys, maybe. Coming something like that. It may be like that. But um, and then he blows himself up, which of course damages the front of the house, allowing the zombies to yes. be able to breach it. And... In any other film, this is a heroic sacrifice. That's like you know, oh, he's going out with a bang, literally taking these zombies out with him. In this, it's. Why the fuck did you do that, you moron? Or at least so close to the front fucking door? Why did the most? Why did the most? You know, combat competent. The guy who literally just said, "Go find fortifications to build this place up and yeah. protect yourselves." And let's not forget, like you could say, "Oh well, he didn't care about them." 
He also told Rudy to forego medical treatment to protect himself and the other. He was thinking of others moments before this scene and then suddenly drops A, his competence and B, his giving a shit about anyone just... to blow up the front door. Like, he, was, he stopped being a character and was just a walking plot device <laughs> to keep the threat going. Ugh. So this, of course, leads to zombies running into the house. Uh, they have to push back towards the laboratory. And when we get to the gunpowder room, yeah. they get a little bit stuck. Yeah. Uh, Simon basically, you know, they're barricading the door and zombies like burst through and grab him and hold him in place. And he can't join the others because he's being dragged back through the door by the zombies. So uh, the two women go down first. And oh, what, you know what? There. You know what? I might be wrong about this to some extent they might at some point because that lab isn't downstairs i don't think i think i'm missing a continuity thing um because they find that downstairs thing uh that that's what leads to the tunnels that they get to next but first they have to be in the lab and activate the zombies in that room because this is what where they the film explains that oh it's this weird mutated blood that's got this strange snake thing in it. Oh yeah, that's uh, causing the zombies. Yeah. Um, but so I guess it's in some. At fashion, some point in the film, they wind up pinched the... in the room with the gunpowder. Yeah. And they discover another exit out of that room that leads down into tunnels. But Simon gets caught by zombies, and using his last clip of ammunition, the entire thing. No, just the last bullet. But he's an idiot. Uh, decides to blow up the gunpowder room so that he doesn't become a zombie and does so just as everybody else, makes it down into the yes. tunnel. And I should point out, the two women um, go down into the tunnel first and Rudy's the last one left, like, pleading with Simon to join him. Um, and then he convinces Rudy to go down and follow so that, you know, he can do his heroic sacrifice thing. Um, next scene, Rudy's in front of the two women as they just go down into the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we'll talk about the the continuity, the but it's worth amazing yeah. continuity. Worth but noting I did that want to continuity point that error. Yes. So now they're in this sort of mossy, overgrown, uh, with some sort of earthy root stuff tunnel. Yes, that has these weird sort of stone. So it looks like it's been bored out and sort of haphazardly built a long time ago. And now zombies are coming out of the walls and attacking them. And Rudy starts shooting his rounds and he fires every bullet he's got. And then he has to yeah. pull back. And then Karma winds up. The in zombies front. in here, by the way, all look puffy and are all wearing like bandoliers made out of leaves for some reason. It is. Yes, it's some strange costume design. Uh, Karma moves up front, starts firing off her guns. And uh, she decides to nobly sacrifice herself so that Rudy and Alicia can get away. Yeah. Um, and so then she's dragged into the wall. And then they encounter uh, a hooded figure who Yeah, looks... suddenly Zorro turns up. Zorro st yes, Zorro turns up, and he looks like their friend Greg. Yeah, who... he sticks a zombie that's just about to get them with a, with a uh, long sword. Like, like a rapier, uh, it's a rapier, basically. yeah. It's yeah. a rapier. Um, and, and puts a finger like, oh, to his what mouth. What are you doing and... down here? Well, let's follow you. Uh, now, we as the audience, we know that Greg is dead. We they, saw the game over screen for it. We did. They, they, the, the, uh, uh, the characters, Rudy and, uh, and Alicia, they, there could be doubt. There could be doubt as to whether or not Greg survived. But why would Greg wear that outfit? Like, wouldn't yeah. you be like, well, I'm not following you anywhere in that outfit, Greg. 
I don't want to like, be seen I was in confused. With you. I was confused as fuck at this point. I was like, even knowing Greg was dead, I was still thinking, why is Greg dressed up like this? Yes, yes. And it's, it turns out, oh, no, it's just Castillo, the Spaniards from Spain, who has uh, torn off Greg's face and was wearing it in order to deceive them into yeah. this other second, like, laboratory surgery room, surgical operating room, whatever, yeah. that he's got set up. And here, like, conquistadors on are in there, and they look proper rotted up. And they grab Rudy and Deborah Messing. But they can and... find them, instead of tearing them apart. Yes, and this is... This is where we learn the villain's motiv motivation for all. And this, this. is my favourite dialogue oh, exchange yes! in the film. Yes! I knew it! Now, oh, we were talking before the show, and I, <laughs> I, we were talking about little notes and things. Uh, and I was like, oh, I've got this one favourite. It's my high point of the movie. It's my favourite dialogue exchange. And Jim was like, I wonder if it's the same one. And now I know this is, is true. <laughs> all right, so this, this is our favourite This is our favorite dialogue exchange. Favourite bit. Favorite Conrad's going to be rude. I will be rude. I'm going to be the villain. Okay. You created it all so you could be immortal. Why? To live forever! <laughs> he, he became immortal! To live forever! The twist! The shock! It's presented with such gravity! Yeah. Such intensity! And it is the dumbest possible it's like response. in any other film it's like there'd be a reason to be immortal like <laughs> to do something to get revenge for something to a, like find out some secret but in no, this he the reason to be immortal to is to forever. be immortal <laughs> you know the spaniard from spain decided to become immortal to live forever it's the best villain in films <laughs> and then there's another sepia flashback but again, just hammers home the fact that he wanted to live forever. As he just says, I will live forever, I cannot die. And that's it. And so I guess it's it's suggested that he has been collecting people's body parts for all of this time to sort of keep himself alive as a patchwork man. And yeah, like he been wants using... to use Alicia's skin uh, to make himself pretty. Yes. Yeah. Like, I thought, like, maybe the twist was he was going to make himself a bride or something. Because I'm thinking, what's the point of living forever if you've spent centuries on this island surrounded by zombies? They, they were what? probably not great conversationalists. Yeah, I'd rather die. <laughs> like, I was like, like, surely there's something else. That is like, a Faustian bargain if I've ever heard yeah. one. Yeah. I'm like, surely there's another thing. Like, maybe he's going to, like, wear all of her skin and become, like like, a normal-looking person and get off the island or something. Maybe it's but a Buffalo no. Bill thing. Maybe, but but it just seems like he's happy to just hang out on the island for the rest of eternity. It's... Inviting people to raves under the guise of a Sega executive. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like, this is what we said earlier, that the, the zombies' behaviour up to this point runs counter because they mostly spend the time Tearing people and apart. ruining the fucking, the meat, the, the product, the flesh that he wants. But anyway. Uh, like, you know, and maybe maybe that's, you know, that's why he needs to throw raves on the island. So he can get enough people to, so the zombies. Because he knows they're going to fuck up most of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't he's know. Like, I've done this like, he's done this like half a dozen times. So he knows by now, if I invite 40 people, two of them will make it this far. 
So, Rudy, while uh, Castillo is admiring the skin of Alicia that he is yeah. planning to wear, like, a pretty, pretty overcoat, uh, yeah. Rudy I mean, he's breaks wear free. Rudy as well. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. He's yeah. going to wear, like, both of them for some reason. I mean, it's... He already had a perfectly good face with Greg, apparently, but he just tore that off and threw it away. <laughs> None of this makes sense. So Rudy breaks free while Castillo yes. is distracted, and this starts a uh, fight oh, He's scene. licking her face, isn't he? What's that? He's licking her face at this point. I think so, yeah. yeah. yeah he's got this black tongue that he's sticking in her ear. It's gross. It's pretty vile. And, uh, and so they start sort of wrestling around the zombies and they escape this chamber uh, which leads out to the graveyard outside the house. So, you know, it all comes back around. Uh, yeah. And and they have a hand grenade again still? Yeah, something? that happened. There's something dynamite hand grenade. It's a, it's a hand grenade that they toss yeah. in there to try and kill Castillo and they get out and they're like, oh, well, I'm glad that's over with and they make some jokes. Oh, she says, yeah, she says, uh, isn't it nice to be wanted for your body or something? That might be the classiest joke in this film. Yeah, that's it, it. It certainly would rank in the top. Are there more than five jokes in this movie? I think there are five jokes in the film, so it's top five. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, uh, predictably, Castillo, the Spaniard from Spain, comes out of the smoking. Yeah, with half hole. of his face just a bit blackened. Right. Yeah, but he's looking good otherwise, and yeah. engages in a sword fight with Alicia. Uh, because as we know from her exposition at the beginning of the film, she broke up with Rudy so she could take up fencing. Yeah, so she's got a sword and they're fighting, and Rudy's got an axe and they're fighting, he's doing a bit. And there's a lot of slow motion sequences. Rudy gets knocked out. swinging. Rudy gets knocked out pretty quick. He gets knocked down fairly early in the fight. Uh, and I would like to point out that this, I, I appreciated it that they were fighting with rapiers. You know, that, that she was able to fight Rapier because if she was uh, fencing, you know, academically or uh, at, for sport, most of the time you're fighting foil. And that's a much lighter weapon. It's, it's, uh, it's much easier to wield. It's not nearly as effective from a combat perspective. Um, it doesn't have the sort of uh, broad... Uh, flat that you can hit with or really a sharp blade and on top of that um, it's it doesn't get the kind of momentum to do real damage Um, it's more of a a, a whip or a a thrust uh, weapon but they don't commonly teach rapier you know it's not something that it's you you learn to fight rapier by joining like the society for creative anachronism I don't know of. I'm not not that familiar with a whole lot of programs that you know outside of that kind of circle of people that really teach rapier combat. So her her program, and now they're in Seattle, presumably we're established that the that they were leaving from the Seattle area. Uh, That's pretty liberal school system. I could see rapier being a thing that's you know done there, but strange, really strange. Uh, And in the end, we uh, we have. Alicia gets stabbed. Um, then Rudy cuts off. Uh, Rudy gets up and cuts off Castillo's head with uh, the hatchet. Yep. Um, then Castillo's headless corpse begins choking Rudy. Yep. And the seemingly mortally wounded Alicia still manages to get up and step on the head of. Uh, Castillo, the Spaniard from Spain. Which is just a beautiful visual effect. It really is. It's, it is 
Was it's like oat- one of those oatmeal. It looked like oatmeal to me. It looks like one of those toys, like the rubber toys that you squeeze and, and the slime would with... come out. Yeah, yeah. Like it looks like one of those. Yeah, it's a lot like that. Um, and then she collapses to the ground. Um, Rudy yeah. and her have their tender moment. We fade to black, and uh, a helicopter shows up the next day to pick them up. We are introduced to um, a couple of agents. Uh, one of them's named G to tie back to the games. Uh, and we get the big twist um, as yep. as Rudy and uh, is leaving, carrying Alicia in her in his arms. Um, they ask his name, and he says it's Ran- it's Rudolph. Rudolph. And they say, "What's your last name?" And Curian, which Curian. Uh, there you go, the villain of the House of the Dead game. Yeah. And we're supposed to believe this was a prequel. And this is some sort of origin story for him. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell! Uh, and that's more or less it. Like, well, you know, it, just... he, it does. It does. There's a, a because this film is really bad. Uh, it needs bookended voiceover narration. Yeah. Uh, and so we are shown. Um, I'm not, I don't remember if it actually is the Seattle skyline that he's approaching. Uh, I should have been paying closer attention to see if they got that right because yeah. I have a feeling they didn't. I mean, it's certainly meant to be. It's meant to be, and uh, and you hear him commenting on how he basically. It turned uh, Alicia undead in order yeah. to uh, keep her around. Um, so that's you know, and and it's the it's basically the, the kind end? of motivation. The beginning. It's the kind of motivation Castilla should have had. Seriously, rather than he wants to be immortal so that he can <laughs> live forever. <laughs> so that's that took us a long time to get through. Yeah, we need to. Um... For for future podcasts, work out a quicker way to do this. Well, I, you know, I was I had this whole written out, and maybe I should have just said "fuck you." I'm gonna plow through it, and then we can address individual shit. I don't. Yeah, know. maybe. I don't know. We'll work that we're, out. We're this is gonna be this is gonna be a long one. It is because but there's we ha- so much to talk about. There really is. I, I was surprised because when I finished watching it, I was like, "There's no plot here. We're gonna get through this in three seconds." Uh, but it turns out there was a lot of plot to chew through. <laughs> well, again, this is because there are so many freaking characters. And it, they had to give a little something to everyone for some reason. This was needed to be an ensemble cast. You could have done away with the with the story itself. Could have done away with the love triangle. Uh, the Carmen Simon, uh, Karma yeah. Simon Alicia thing was totally unnecessary. Uh, the, the whole Spaniard thing. <laughs> you know what? The whole film's unnecessary. There's, there's so much of it that just seems played for time, which is kind of depressing, because the movie, I think, is only like an hour and 24 minutes. We have spent more time talking about it than it takes to watch the movie. <laughs> and it doesn't deserve it. It really doesn't. Yeah. So, uh, but, so, but there are things that we really should talk about to yeah. address kind of how... Well, we're going to move on. Um, I'm going to move us on to the next section, um, where we will talk about the, you know, the film as a as a presentation, as a production, um, to sort of give our, our review of it, I guess. Um, so we'll 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 do that now. So, Conrad, did you like it or not? No, no, I no. Did not, I did not like it. Um, not fun to fit. No, it. I mean, I've seen a lot of really bad movies, right? Like mm-hmm. I have, uh, I have survived 
deathbed, the bed that eats, right? Yeah. I, I unironically watched Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, I House of the Dead was not going to break me. This is mm-hmm. it's it is n- it, it's a bad zombie movie. It's a bad video game movie. But there are so many worse video, so many worse, so many worse, just bad zombie movies out there. I I challenge anyone who thinks that House of the Dead is a bad movie to go track down the video dead. I challenge you, and you it will make you reassess what a bad zombie movie actually is. So um, yeah, I mean I've seen way worse. Yes. And, and I, as I, as I said, like. I was giddy watching this. Like I, I was, I spent a there lot of time are, laughing and whooping and hollering. There are aspects of it that are so staggeringly bad that you can't help, you cannot yeah. help yourself but laugh think, at them. I think um, some of the highlights for me were the fact that the cinematography and the set design made it look like an episode of Are You Alone in the Dark or Goosebumps. It had a very '90s kids horror show look to it. It did. Which it did. Well, if and, and, it didn't have loads of tits and blood in it, could have been an episode of "Are You Afraid of the Dark." Well, it extends to the uh, the zombie designs as well. I mean, yeah. most of them. Night of the Living Dead. Uh, well, Black and White helped that considerably, but um, Dawn of the Dead even the zombies look like more effort and energy and so forth was, was applied to this. And there's a lot of, like a lot of that's just people showing up in their clothes, you know? Yeah. Uh, the zombies in this, because I think they were trying so hard to make them seem like rotted, fetid monstrosities. Uh, they wind up looking like guys in ill fitting, um, stretch suits with stuff tacked on all over. Yeah. I think what what's really amazing about it is there clearly weren't enough suits to go around. So we had some of them in the ill-fitting Halloween costumes, looking skeletal as possible. Next to guys who did seem to just show up in their clothes and had no makeup at all applied to them. And maybe There's that's, one, maybe... one of the zombies is just some like blonde dude who's just there. And, 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 and you and wouldn't know extent, he was a maybe zombie. Maybe that's intentional, you know? Because here we have, you can see... By, you know, the state of degradation and, you know, like the, the people who are wearing clothes, normal clothes, they were at the rave. That's how they became zombies. Yeah. Everybody else could be from earlier trips going back all the it's way to true. here. We have these it... sort of Spaniard people in the. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I'll give I it get that, that. But at the same I get time. why. But it's. It's so visually jarring. It's poorly it, executed. Both of them. Like you can have a whole bunch of zombies that are people in their normal clothes. Or you can have a whole bunch of zombies who are all rotted and skeletal and everything. Oh, and I think that if they... But they're both... So little effort went into both. That's But when you put them together, they make each other look fake. If the rotted zombies had been done really well, then that that dichotomy can work. Yeah, I just feel like... like... It doesn't feel weird in, uh, in, like, games when when you have that experience, right? Yeah. Yeah, because there's there's a, there's a unifying art style that, that makes it look cohesive. Right. Whereas here, the two elements were so disparate, they they made each other look fake. Like they made, they just they clashed so badly with each other. Where we had some guys who were like old conquistador skeletons, and some guys who were just guys. It it didn't look like fresh zombies and old zombies. It looked like men in suits and guys that didn't have suits because they didn't have enough. <laughs> And zombie movies, horror movies in general, but in a lot of ways, zombie movies, uh, they sort of live and die by their gore content, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is a film that really 
doesn't attempt anything spectacular or interesting on that. Yeah, I mean, certainly stuff we've seen before. I mean, you compare the zombies hacking off Casper's legs to the zombies pulling all the skin off the guy who's pulled through the window in uh, Brain Dead or, right. or Dead Alive, as it's called in the US, uh, leaving like, and he's dumped on the floor and it's just blood soaked skeletal legs kicking while the guy's looking down and screaming. And like, there's so much energy and life and, and just visual hideousness in Brain Dead. Whereas here, it's almost matter of fact. It's like they pull her out. Oh, her legs are off. Fair enough. And it's like it's done. It's done with, as you said earlier, like the guy, It it doesn't revel in its own badness. No. It kind of s- sweeps everything that happens onto the rug. Every scene is swept onto the rug by the next scene that follows. Uh, so there's no punch to anything that goes on. A zombie's head blows up, and it's just so poorly executed that you just think, okay, all right. A normal character dies, and there's so many discretion shots, and any gore we do see is so overplayed and undercooked that it's like, oh, I get nothing from this. Right. Um, the only bits, the only bits I enjoyed, and and again, you know, it's obviously ironic enjoyment, but every continuity error made me laugh. And there's so in the in the big action the big sequence fights, we yeah, described. We were going to get to this. this yes. Is, um, I mean, there's continuity areas er- errors all throughout the film, but they're so condensed in the action sequence. It's amazing. I have a, a couple of quick, couple of quick things here, like the guns, the yeah. weapons. The weapons are the yes. most obvious. Like what the fuck? And and it sort of ties in to uh, what we were just talking about here, where you made the like the dead alive connection, and it's uh, one of those things that has been done before, and this does it also, but doesn't really make the effort necessary to do it right. Uh, this combat sequence is much the same way in that it feels like Bowl saw things through his lens of a lover of film that were awesome in combat sequences and said, I'm going to do that in my combat sequence. And so what you have here are these, uh, these moments, like the combat sequence jumps from one character to focusing on one character to the next, to the next, to the next, and it sort of cycles through them all. And at points it will focus on one and suddenly pause the action. And do a one of those cinematography digital 360 degree rotations around the character, right? Yeah. Where they're holding the gun in a dramatic pose. But the gun they're holding is almost invariably, almost without exception, a different gun or configuration of guns than they were holding when yes. the sequence began. Throughout the the action sequence, there's I think it might be um, it might be Kirk at one point has a shotgun, a pistol, and then two pistols. Maybe the grenade launcher. I don't remember the grenade launcher ever getting used actually. Um, but yeah, like like characters keep swapping guns from shot to shot. They've well, got you, different you, guns in their hands. You never see anybody like pull out a different weapon in this fight. No. Not once. They've just suddenly got a new one. Yes. Um, also, in, in these scenes, um, like, what we'll have is we'll have an action scene, the camera will be focused on one character who's shooting, and there's, like, zombies, like, running up behind them, and it looks like they're just about to get them. Then it cuts 
to the 360 degree matrix style rotation profile of that character. And all the zombies that were behind them are gone now. And then it cuts back and there's a totally different configuration of zombies around them. Like, the zombies are inconsistent throughout the entire scene. Like, I... at any moment, there's so many scenes, like, so many shots in there that show them surrounded 360 degrees by zombies. And then it suddenly changes its mind to where the zombies are just in front of them. And then it changes its mind again to where they're surrounded. And it's just constantly back and forth. And most of the zombies clearly weren't given any direction. The only direction is don't touch the actor. So you can clearly <laughs> see some zombies with nothing to do stood there doing nothing. Yeah. Nothing. It's an amazing, it's one of the best action, and again, I say best with quotation marks oh. around it, one of the best action sequences in cinema. Like, the amount of continuity errors from the guns be being different to the zombies being different, like, none of it's consistent. And it's... for all of the time that it takes of the film, you yes. would think they would have shot enough footage then <laughs> to make that consistent. Like, yes. it, it It is so long. I... I I should have gone back and checked to see how long and it is. Instead, I feel like they used everything they shot. Yes. Because yeah. it's thrown in with so little care and attention. It must have been everything they shot of that sequence. If, if I'm not mistaken, there are three different characters holding that Mossberg throughout the course of I that. I believe that might be true, yeah. And it's like, and, and at one point, it, uh, there's only one point at which the 360 rotation kind of gets it right from a gun perspective. And that's uh, Alicia, uh, who is in a scene shooting her pistol, shooting a pistol for some reason. Then it does the 360 rotation, and she's holding the shotgun. And when it comes back, she's crouched down somewhere else holding the shotgun again. <laughs> I think the only guy whose gun is consistent throughout the whole scene is um, Simon. No, it's not. Has... It's not, because his 360 rotation one doesn't have the fucking laser scope on it. Oh, well, then I... <laughs> He was the only one I thought was consistent no, with the, and he's the, the laser-sighted semi-auto. He's also the one who most clearly does not know how to use a gun. Because, as you see, when they're standing at the door to the house and firing guns, every time he shoots, he pushes forward with his hand. As if there is <laughs> no recoil action. To deal with. He is overpowering the recoil action of this gun. Simon, Simon is so strong that he doesn't even pull the trigger. It's the recoil of his wrist that's, like, whipping the bullets out of the gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so I want to talk about Simon a bit. Yeah. Because um, I said that the, the Casper is the like, whoever's playing Casper is the worst actress. And, and um, that's true. And when it comes to, like, the, 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 the guys... Simon is easily the worst actor. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I, I noticed, I started watching him throughout the film. Um, when he doesn't have a line, he shuts down like a robot. <laughs> I, I, if, if you're watching, if, you, you know, if you've already watched it and, and maybe want to rewatch it for some reason, or if you've not watched it and this podcast's really selling you on watching it, <laughs> find the Paul Rudd-looking motherfucker who, and just never take your eyes off him. Because when he's not talking, he's, he, he, he becomes the most neutral, bland, poker face guy on the set. 
He just stands there with his arms at his sides, just staring off into space until it's his time to talk again. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, you know, acting isn't just delivering your lines, right. you know? Right. It's also when you're not delivering your lines and if you're in the background, like, what are you doing? Don't they are call you that still business? I think that's the term for it, business. Business, right. Are you still doing that? Are you still in the scene? And I, I just felt like whenever he's not talking, he's not in the scene. He looks like he's 100 miles away in his head. Um, so, yeah, he's clearly the worst, um, uh, overall the worst actor after Casper, um, mm. who who just has no no way of intoning, no way of No reflecting. dramatic range at all. No, it's, it's purely, you know, clearly the direction she was given was she's the cold, calculating, professional survivor type. Um, and outside of that, like, she... she I mean, she'd, she'd, she'd maybe make a good T-1000. <laughs> but even then, Robert Patrick was fucking stellar as that. That's true. It's true. Because um, you can even do stoic and still have a range of stoic. Whereas she's got one setting and it does not move. And then next to her is Simon, who fucking is passable when talking. But the moment his lips are closed... He's dead behind the eyes. But that again, that again, we have to give sort of special, uh, um, you know, like a, an honorable mention, I guess, to the guy who plays Rudy. Because he is so... Mm, from the very moment you see him, because like, he sets the tone for this entire fucking movie. He does, yeah. I mean, he's the last he's, one we see. The, the, the first one we see, presuming he's the last one alive of something. Right. And he's so he's sitting there, and he has this moody reflection on his face. Yeah. He the, the, This voiceover that is melodramatic, but dis, with a hint of disinterest. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, he's just reading it off the page six months after shooting because they decided that they needed to have this narration all yeah, of a I think the drama, the drama came from the character, and the disinterest came from the actor who just wasn't bothered. But it, it, it totally sets the tone for everything that's about to follow. Yes. In fact, I would say that the entire film is melodramatic and disinterested at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's And that is a good tone to set. Um, but yeah, Rudy is... Um, Pretty terrible. Well, he's just he's, um, it, it, the his performance, whether that's the uh, work of Bull uh, directing him to do it in this way, or he's like I, you know, I get the feeling that Bull's just kind of like do whatever with it. Like, again, like none of these said, characters some of the are scenes... developed enough to get the impression you can do what you want. Yeah, yeah, like some of the scenes, as I said, like I said that I. I make jokes that I felt they weren't scripted. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of them weren't. It's like, you know, Uva's just like, in this scene, um, you're going to have sex with her, but you stop, you'll need to piss. Action! And then they, the, the poor actors have to do their best with that information. No, uh, yeah, I, I, I can definitely see how, that, how yeah, that's possible. But I do feel he's, he's somewhat of a hands-off director. Right. He, and, and... he gives the actors freedom to do you know, add their own creativity to the mix. But there's nothing subtle at all, at no. all, in, in Rudy's performance. There is no, no nuance. Um, you... 
now there's nothing complex about what he says most of the time either, but the parts where he's supposed to be conveying important plot. In well, I mean, the line where manner. he says, the line where he says genius is yeah. one of those moments where he just goes, it's genius. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're practically in hearing in the back of his mind, <laughs> kind of, it's like, you know, yeah. He, and as I said, there's no gravitas to the way he says it, really. No. And it's it's only because it's such a familiar trope that I knew what the character was thinking. Like, and, and that's true in several scenes. It's only because these characters are so generic and stock that I know what they're thinking. Because the performances aren't doing it. It's the stereotypical cliché of what they represent that allows me to understand their motivations. Because they're the motivations I've seen in a hundred different sci-fi and horror films. Um, I, but as far as, I mean, good performances, obviously um, Kirk Jürgen is um, the highlight. Yeah. And, uh, he's and actually good. He is actually good in this. It's... Yeah, Clint Howard, I don't think was that great. It's not his best work. No, not uh, his best work. I think he was. this was a money role for him. This I, was, I was doing it for the check. It starts out strong. Like I really like him, uh, right at the right when you first meet Salish. Uh, and oh, when he's he greets them on the boat and he's being all like surly and telling them to get right. Off and, and then stuff. after yeah. after they head off to the island, there's just there's just nothing there, and th- there's not a whole lot there for him to work with either. He it's once he starts being concerned for the group, he doesn't sell the cons- he can yeah. he can sell the being disdainful and telling them to fuck off. He can't sell it later when he's supposed to be worried about them. Yeah, I yeah I see. And that. to be honest, I can't. If I was dealing with those actors and what they were bringing to the table, I'd struggle to make it look like I gave a shit as well. <laughs> yes, I think that that's a fair assessment. Uh, it's he, it's it's certainly not him in Ice Cream Man. No, no. Uh, I will say that I thought Alicia, uh, who was played by Ona Gra, I think, uh, was okay. Yeah, she's not bad. I think she was okay. Karma as well. Um, that, For what little uh, they gave her. I mean, she's yeah. barely in it. Um, yeah, Karma's barely in it, but Inuka Okuma is her name again. I'm, I'm sorry if I can't, if I hey, mispronounced. She, she lives longer than anyone else and has, like, the least screen time. How yes. did that happen? So, yeah, Karma didn't have much screen time, but was into it, I feel. I yeah. feel like she was actually, she may have been the only, the only one. Because even as good as, as, as Proc now was... It, he yeah. clearly still was was going through the motions. I think he's just naturally more talented than anyone else there. But Okuma was Pine Karma was the only one I think who really was giving her all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say like like um, I mean, not, Kira Clavel playing Liberty. Like I think she was giving it. Yes, she I, was putting in some was, good effort. Now well. that's not to say that the other people involved weren't putting forth their best effort. We don't want to, you know imply that anyone else was slacking off. Uh, I mean, it's pretty clear that, uh, that uh, is it Jorgen? He was phoning uh, yes. it in. He was phoning it in. Clint he Howard was. was phoning it in. Uh, the other people could have been working at the absolute peak of their ability. We don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to actually see what some of these actors went on to do. Uh, well, um, the, the lead, uh, his best-known role outside of this, the guy who played Rudy, he died in Final Destination 2. I thought he was going to say the actor died. No, no, I mean, that was something that I was... was, say, that, that was I feel bad about slagging him off. Yeah, Other than Final this. Destination 2. Um, 
I do like that uh, Kira Clavel, who played Liberty, was in a, a film called Rub and Tug well. the year before, uh, which is a sexy comedy that takes place at a quote-unquote full-body massage parlour. <laughs> so keep your eyes out on that. That's good. Uh, uh, what's the rating on that? It's that. It... Uh, the rating on Rub and Tug is uh, five out of ten. Uh, I meant I meant MPAA, but oh yeah, sorry. I'm. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where that information is. Oh, that's all right. I'll find out later. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, if it's not you know unrated, I'm probably not interested. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we, the performances were shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, let's talk about, I guess, the most and perhaps the only really notable thing about the film. Which the I, thing that makes it stand out from all other video game films you've ever seen in your life? Yes. Um, the fact that throughout the film, constantly, jarringly, there are... Uh, sorry, I keep saying making fart noises with my lips. I don't know why today. There are... <laughs> Um, there are scene transitions we'll call them scene transitions um, and later during the action sequences they're just there for shits and giggles um, but for the most of the film they, they become scene transitions just clips of the House of the Dead game like, like one second flash and then fade out of a zombie being shot or an attack hitting the screen like actual arcade game footage low res yeah, a little blurry. Now the opening credits actually is entirely, um, like, de not desaturated, but they they use some sort of these effect. visual effects. They use some sort so of visual effects to give it a sort of neon glow, and I don't know what you call it. Looks the effect. like they. It looks like they use like they run it through some Photoshop filters, like they put a hot wax right. coating on it or embossed it, and or you know did a whole bunch of the artistic um, <laughs> texture changes. Right. Um, <laughs> And I thought that's what the rest of the film, because I'd heard about them, like, putting them in the middle of the film. And I thought that's what would happen. Um, but no, but it's no, just later actually on, lazier than that. Unfiltered, just just occasional quick cuts um, in between scenes to the video game. And later on, um, like, my favourite use of it is when they're in the tunnel shooting the zombies uh, towards the end. It keeps cutting back to a sequence in a tunnel. From the game of zombies being shot in the House of the Dead arcade game. It's like, see, to see, say, we're faithful, yeah, we're doing it, we're making it. It's basically saying, look, look, we did this shot-for-shot shot remake, even though it's not, because our zombies look nothing like the House of the Dead zombies, and this scene looks nothing like it. Um, yeah, I think, here here I, I have to praise the shit genius of Uwe Boll. Because um, he is a shit genius. He is brilliant, at being fucking lazy and incompetent. Because he clearly did not make a House of the Dead movie. He didn't. You know, there's a reference to Curian, a reference to G. You know, very vague. Like, like the lowest possible effort there's, done. There's a Sega banner. Yeah, there's a Sega banner. They're hosting the rave. Um, the lowest amount of token effort is made to reference the film. And Uwe Boll's famous for this. I mean, Uwe Boll clearly writes his own... And I think he's even confessed it. I think he even told me once when I interviewed him. He writes his own film. Well, and video games are a way of him to get film work that 
only he could get. Like, he's never going to direct a new fucking Spider-Man film. So he goes to the video game companies because they'll give him the license because they don't give a shit about what happens to their game in a film. Most of them don't. Um, and he's actually told... Yeah, I, do, I remember the conversation I had with him now. He said he goes for video game licenses because he can get them. Yeah. And that just allows him to write and direct whatever film he wants. And he, the only caveat is he's got to use the video game's name. So the real shit genius here is he wrote his own original film about a rave on an island that goes wrong and a Spaniard who wants to live forever for the sole purpose of living forever. And in order to... <laughs> and in order to just, like, remind us that it's based on a film, he just throws in the, the, the video clips of the game itself. That way, he fulfills his remit of making a House of the Dead movie without ever having to do any of the stuff that Resident Evil does. Any of the stuff that Silent Hill does. He doesn't have to explore the lore of House of the Dead. He doesn't have to, to give us a mansion, like the actual Curian mansion. He doesn't have to do anything but, related to House of the Dead. He just throws in video clips and says, see? but you see, It's got clips in. Of course it's a House of the Dead film. As, as, as brilliant... As I think that is, you are missing the other critical component of this technique, mm -hmm. which is that the man never has to figure out how to transition from one scene to the next. That is true. Not that is true. He just has to throw up game footage and it serves both ends. Uh, yeah. And it is so jarring that you forget that the scene transition is bad. Because you're just suddenly shocked and suddenly the next scene is happening and you don't have time to process it in your mind. Because you're still trying that what you saw was shite. You're still trying to figure out why anybody would have ever used this technique. Yes. <laughs> but, but My favourite bits, though, is when, when it tries to get even creative with those uncreative edits. Like there's one shot where like it, it you know a scene ends it cuts to a, a footage of the game and then it zooms into the zombie's empty eye socket and inside the eye socket is the next scene <laughs> and another bit when like some a zombie gets shot in the game and then cuz it's an on-rail shooter the camera turns of its own volition and as it turns it brings the next scene in with it as if the player like a Star of Wars. House of the Dead is looking at the next scene of the movie uh... And it's only done twice. Those are the only two creative edits. And like the two game over sequences for the two characters, it's just forgotten again. And so and much totally of this out of... just gets forgotten. Well, and there's no context or explanation or purpose for doing it. Like when no. you see all the other ones. Like there's no better reason to do this technique. It's just that, the, oh, well, well, I mean, it's like maybe the we could from try it like this. this. And this, yeah. this one, and we'll do one with this. It's like, dude, it's oh, like the Spaniard consistent. from Spain who became immortal to become immortal. <laughs> he did it, it's, yes, balls. it's there because it's there. Oh my god, this is autobiographical. The yeah. Spaniard is bull. This is his entire approach to filmmaking. This is his thesis right here. That's, that is it. This is what the entire objective of the movie is explained with the Spaniard from Spain. It is because it is. I feel like so I've shut learned up. a lot here today. I really do. I think we've we we have we've gained a, a fresh insight into the mind of Uwe Boll. One of who I still like for all the shit I give him because he deserves it. I do find a genuinely fascinating mind in cinema, and I've seen work of his that makes me think if he really tried, he could be a good filmmaker. I'm someone, and I know it's 
it's it's a very divisive film. But I actually enjoyed Rampage, uh, which was not actually based on the Rampage video game before anyone gets, you know, their knickers in a twist. It was a movie about uh, a mass shooting. Not a real one. Not even Bolt seems to be that gauche yet. Um, but it was, you know, a fictional mass shooting. Um, and I actually thought it was really good. Uh, so I find him a fascinating man. Um, and this movie... I've seen a lot of Uwe Boll films, and I think this one truly encapsulates everything about him. Perhaps more than, you know, Blood Rain or any of the old Postal or any of those ones. Um, House of the Dead truly encapsulates everything about Uwe Boll as a filmmaker. It's, it's the perfect example of his work that I've seen so far. I've not seen every film he's done. There might be a better one. But so far, it is, to me, the perfect Uwe Boll film. There are films of his that we're going to do that I am I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to actually mm -hmm. uh, because I don't I have familiarity with him I don't have as much familiarity with his work as I probably should um, I have I think seen he did Silent Hill right no no okay no that one was actually quite good okay then um yeah, I'm trying to. I'm struggling to think of anything else I've seen. See, I mean, he movie. did Blood Rain. He, he did. He didn't do the sequel to House of the Dead either. Ah, um, that was directed by the head writer of of this one, uh, Michael A. Something, I think. Okay. Uh, oh, he clearly did not want to abandon the the IP he started. Well, there was a there's a there's a third film that uh, was made that was intended to be a uh, a third film in House of the Dead originally. And then they decided not to do that after they made the film. Right. Which sort of ties all into this mess. But that stars Dean Cain. I know. I, yeah, I know. I know. And all of a sudden, the convergence is there. And I'm thinking, I might just have to watch this anyway. Um, I think it's called Deader Deader. Um, and, and it, I've seen that. Yeah. That was originally intended that movie to be a hilarious. third installment of House of the Dead. That movie, because... Um, uh, I don't think I've ever really mentioned it. You know, I've mentioned Dean Cain is obviously a, a regular fixture on the Fist Shark marketing podcast that we do together. Um, but locally, my local friends here um, in Mississippi, uh, we all of us have this like obsessive fascination with Dean Cain. And we, we do a thing called Cain in it, which is we'll get together some weekend when nothing else is going on and we'll watch a Dean Cain film. And, and it's called Kane in it, and it's a big social event in our calendar. Uh, and Dead or Dead, it was one of them, and it's incredible. And I almost, I'm almost tempted to have us do it one week. We may, Maybe yeah, we may just have to do it. I mean, just because it is connected to video games. It was games. supposed to be, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I did not know that, though. I did not know it was meant to be a House of the Dead film. Uh, and I'd like to do some of those that aren't so explicitly connected um, in yeah. future as we sort of progress along this path. Uh, this... But what are we going to do for the next one? I, I meant to bring that up before yeah, so we did I, recorded, I realized... but I got so excited. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking maybe Doom. Uh, honestly, my, I was trending towards Doom as well. Yeah. So I think I think, I think you it. need a palate cleanser, something that we know is going to at least have some baseline equality because of Dwayne the Rock Johnson's involvement. Yeah, like clearly some effort went into this somewhere. And I've heard, I've never actually seen Doom. Neither have I. Um, but I've heard bits about it that make me feel like it's... It probably won't be a high quality romp, but it will be an enjoyable romp, and not not the not strictly the kind of enjoyment I got out of this film. <laughs> um, so that'll be uh, you know our next podcast, which is you know once every two weeks. 
you've got time to go watch Doom. That will be our next one, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, you can catch Conrad, um, his work uh, on, well, with me at Fist Shark Marketing, um, which is another podcast. You can see that at fistshark.com, and you follow that on Twitter, at fistshark. Um, you can also follow Conrad at Conrad Zimmerman. Um, all one word, all squashed up, all nice for you. Um, and we'll be back next time. I don't know if you've got any other closing statements you'd like to make. Mm, uh... I did it to live forever. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why we do this podcast. <laughs> to live forever. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, God. Because now that just makes me think of legacy. Is this going to be our legacy? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Just this one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> None of the others. They won't get listened to. Um, but, yeah, thank you for being with us. I mean, they won't be this long in future. They're we're going to nail. Yeah. We're going to nail down a good format. This is too much time. You wanted structure. We tried to implement structure. It doubled the length of the podcast, okay? This is what happens. Yeah, we, we're going to find that happy medium. <laughs> I mean, we're still trying this out. Um, so I'm going to wrap it up quickly now because I'm just dragging it on. <laughs> we will see you next time. Uh, the next thing in the rotation will be... Um, Doom. Uh, pod, podquisition. Oh, well, right, yes. Just for the listeners. Uh, podquisition, then podquisition again. Then another episode of the Movie Boys. So spin off, we will... Doctor. <laughs> spin off doctors. Wow. We will see you next time with Doom. <laughs>